One, two, three, all right. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Hunter Keegan, back from beyond the podcast grave with another enthralling episode of Down Home Fear, the cult podcast that united minds in 2017 and then mysteriously <laughs> went off the grid. Is it back for good? Probably not, but I wanted to do this episode because um, basically I found the topic very interesting and I still have the RSS feed for this show active, so it just, I don't know, I felt like doing it. So yeah, it's been about three years, and um, in the intervening period, I have basically just been living my life and um, working on other projects, most notably um, a music project, a band, I guess you could call it, called Last Known Images which is also the source of um, some of the original music that was featured on this podcast throughout its initial run and um, also throughout this episode. The topic for today is ghost ships. Have you ever heard of a ghost ship before? I've heard stories of them from when I was very young. Haunted vessels drifting in the open sea or open river the crew mysteriously gone without a trace, ominous, silent ships that appear out of the night and that terrify sailors, the living sailors, who come across them. When I think of ghost ships, I always imagine a massive white Spanish galleon charging out of the high sea with empty decks and no lights and no crew. It's wild to think about, but, you know, are these lost ships just the thing of legend? Not at all. Despite their supernatural-sounding title, ghost ships are actually quite well-documented throughout history. Even in modern times, the mysterious abandoned ships are found floating in the middle of the ocean or run aground. Oftentimes, this is because of storms or disease or other such disasters wiping out the crew, or the boat got capsized or violent waves swept the crew overboard into watery graves. It can really be for any of those real-life, non-fictional reasons. The most famous example of a verified ghost ship is quite possibly the Mary Celeste, which is a supposedly cursed shipping vessel that vanished during an attempted voyage off the coast of Haiti. This was in the mid to late 1800s. The Mary Celeste was a ship that uh, was found abandoned and that was quite famous in the mid to late 1800s um, because of its mysterious loss of the crew. It was seen floating around for a while and then eventually someone intentionally wrecked it as part of a insurance scam, which is super anticlimactic, but that's what happened. However, tales of ghost ships do not end at the coasts of the mainland and they're not always in the open ocean. The first story I have for you actually takes place on a river in Alabama. The fiery story of the ill-fated Eliza battle. In March of 1858, 
a horrible tragedy occurred in the icy waters of the Tomigbe River, a 200-mile-long, well-traveled passage. Its waters flow from northeastern Mississippi all the way down past Mobile, Alabama, and subsequently into the Gulf of Mexico. The river is wide, and it floods a lot, especially in the winter and early spring. And despite being located in the deep south, it gets extremely cold in the late winter and early spring months. Anyhow, many boats traveled the Tomogbee River in those days, and the Eliza Battle, the name of the ship, is Eliza Battle. It wasn't an actual battle with armies or militias. Um, anyhow, the Eliza Battle was probably the most famous. She was a luxury steamboat driven by two massive paddle wheels that straddled each side of the vessel. She actually provided entertainment and transport for passengers, but in addition to that, shipped large quantities of various types of cargo up and down the Tomogbee River uh, between northeastern Mississippi and Mobile, Alabama. And if you look at illustrations of this thing, it's pretty wild. Um, it's large and wide, and it sits very low on the water, relatively speaking. The hull was made of wood, and a large smokestack rose high above it. The paddle wheels rose over the deck and churned the waters below, powering the boat. The Eliza Battle could carry approximately 316 tons of cargo. It was really quite massive for those times. The Eliza Battle became iconic for entertaining VIPs, aristocrats, and even a president of the United States, President Millard Fillmore, the 13th president of the U.S. Look it up. I didn't recognize his name either. And thus, its fate became all the more infamous. On March 1st, 1858, the waters of the Tomogbee were exceedingly cold. A cold front had blown through overnight, and the temperature was said to have dropped by around 40 degrees Fahrenheit, which I don't know how true that is. Um, it seems like a really large temperature fluctuation, but stranger things have happened. And in any case, the waters were indeed extremely cold, probably just about freezing from the information that I've read. On that voyage, 60 passengers and 45 crew members were aboard the Eliza Battle. The steamboat was carrying 1,200 bales of cotton, in addition to its passengers, downriver toward Mobile. The weather was poor and treacherous, with gusting wind whipping over the bow, and meanwhile the passengers slept restlessly after the sun set and darkness fell on the Tomogbee River. So around 2 o'clock a.m. that night, one of the crew members reported that one of the cotton bales that had been fastened to the large deck of the Eliza Battle had caught fire. The exact cause is unknown. It really could have been anything. It could have been due to an oil lantern getting knocked over or maybe even a carelessly tossed cigar or something like that. The high winds stoked the fire, and before anyone could contain it, the entire vessel was engulfed in flames. It was the middle of the night, and confusion and panic spread quickly amongst the crew and passengers. The flames spread across the bales of cotton, and they were so intense that they actually prevented anyone from being able to make it to the lifeboats that may have saved them from their impending deaths. 
Subsequently, people began jumping overboard into the cold, dark water. Many of them were still dressed in their night clothes. Hypothermia set in rapidly, and between the fires above and the icy water below, 33 people lost their lives in the twilight hours of March 1st, 1858, somewhere near what is now called Pennington, Alabama, which is about halfway between Birmingham and Mobile, if that means anything to you. It's basically like west-central Alabama, very close to the Mississippi border. News of the tragedy spread quickly, and other riverboats saw the towering flames and quickly rushed to rescue the survivors of the Eliza battle, who were quickly succumbing to the winter elements. In this area of the United States, it's like that really dense southern swampland, and it's hauntingly dark at night. The water appears almost black after sundown because of the silt and mud in it. It's not quite the bayou, which is more of like a Mississippi or Louisiana thing, but it's also not to be trifled with. I mean, it's it's very um, desolate, dark, deadly, low-lying land. And for those 33 souls who were not rescued in time, their fate lay in the waters of the Tomagabee River. The loss of the famous steamboat became a thing of folk legend. The Eliza Battle is known to have sunk 28 feet into the murky river, where it remains to this day. However, some stories claim that the Eliza Battle has not disappeared altogether. Some claim that an apparition of the Eliza Battle still travels the Tomagabee River. On some quiet winter nights, it's said that you can see her floating on the river's surface engulfed in flames. While the apparition itself is not dangerous, those who spot it are said to befall untimely fates. One author, Catherine Tucker Wyndham, a well-known Southern folklorist who published many ghost stories up until her death in 2011, rest in peace, even went so far as to call it the Phantom Steamboat of the Tomagabee. That's crazy, right? The sinking of the Eliza battle is no myth. 33 lives truly were lost on that cold winter night. However, the ghostly sightings of the Eliza battle that followed, that's all hearsay, of course. The wreck has been confirmed to be resting at the bottom of the Tomagabee River. It's really no mystery where the actual boat now lies. And if you haven't noticed, this isn't really a traditional story of a ghost ship, which is, again, an abandoned vessel floating in open water. This is kind of a literal ghost ship. I would love to see it, though, coming out of the distance, engulfed by flames. Sounds pretty intense. Now, I do have a second story for you, though, and this is kind of what we would consider to be a um, authentic ghost ship story, one that involves a crew that went missing and a mysterious wreckage that was found just a couple of days later. This next one is called The Story of the Carol A. Deering. Let me tell you about a little place called North Carolina. 
it's a state that I think really gets overshadowed by Georgia in terms of its level of like Southern hauntedness and the myriad of different legends that surround various areas throughout the state. There's a ton of history there and many of these legends and tales go all the way back to, you know, like the 1700s or even earlier than that. In many cases, it's it's really quite a um, rich area in terms of just the amount of um, historical significance that it has. I used to vacation there a lot with my family when I was a kid. One of the times we went down there, I actually found a book at like a cafe or something, and it was all about different ghost stories from North Carolina. It creeped me out to imagine how the very locations that I had been visiting were actually surrounded by such dark mythos. And just barely off the coast of North Carolina lies an area widely referred to as the Graveyard of the Atlantic. And the reason it's called that is because literally thousands of ships and boats over the last couple of centuries have been lost at sea in this region. There's an area of North Carolina called the Outer Banks, and it's a very popular tourist destination these days. It's very beautiful, and there are sandy beaches and lots of great bars and restaurants. You see a lot of, you know, like college kids and families there. Um, it's fun. But it's also a chain of barrier islands, which means that it's a series of long, narrow-shaped islands that separate the open ocean from the mainland with the bay in between. So while they are gorgeous to visit in the spring and summer, they are historically very dangerous to navigate through if you're, you know, sailing in the area. They are very difficult to see when weather conditions are bad, and there are lots of sandbars and rocky shoals, and even coral just beneath the surface that can easily tear through wood and steel. Not just this, but the Outer Banks are world famous for the number of notorious pirates and criminals who used to prey on unsuspecting ships in that area, and also use the islands as hideouts. Not all misfortunes at sea are due to bad weather. The Carol A. Deering was a ship that ran aground just off of Cape Hatteras, North Carolina, on January 31st, 1921. Cape Hatteras is near the Outer Banks of North Carolina. It was a large schooner, 255 feet long. Even though it was built in, you know, the 1920s after the Industrial Revolution and all of that in the United States, it was made of wood and it had five large masts that rose up above the ship. And it had a crew of just 10 people and one captain. For reference purposes, it looks a lot like what many of us would consider a pirate ship to look like. It was one of those very large-scale ships, and it was actually a commercial shipping vessel. So it was one of the last wooden-masted sailboats that was ever built to carry large quantities of cargo for commercial purposes, which I think is pretty interesting. It could carry up to 1,900 tons of cargo. It hauled its freight back and forth between various locations on the east coast of the United States, all the way to locations in South America. 
In July of 1920, the Deering was sailing from Newport News, Virginia, to Rio de Janeiro, which is located in Brazil, with a shipment of uh, coal. So it had this large shipment of coal, and they were taking it from the United States down to Rio de Janeiro so they could deliver the cargo. The ship was captained originally by a man named William H. Merritt, who was a World War I veteran who was decorated for his valor and heroism in combat. The crew was made up of his son, who was also the first mate, and the crew consisted entirely of Scandinavian men, who Merritt had enlisted to support the long trek to South America. This wasn't Captain Merritt's own ship. Keep in mind, they were working for a company that owned the ship, so... What happens is Captain Merritt actually fell severely ill right as the ship was initially leaving for its voyage, and the Deering actually had to return to port so he could be dropped off and receive medical treatment. So Captain Merritt and his son were forced to end their journey there, while a new captain was found to replace him. In late August 1920, a man named Captain Willis Warmel took helm of the Deering, and the crew sailed out into the open ocean for another attempt at making it to Rio de Janeiro. They arrived in Brazil with their cargo on September 8, 1920, and they successfully delivered the shipment of coal. Captain Warmel gave his crew leave, which is sailor speak for a vacation, while they were docked in Rio de Janeiro, and he himself met up with an old friend who happened to be docked at the same port. Despite the successful delivery, Captain Warmel lamented to his friend that his crew was difficult to work with and hard to keep under control, and that he was eager to return th to the United States and be rid of them. In late December, Captain Warmel and his crew left Rio de Janeiro to return to the United States, but this time none of the crew members would make it to their destination. Shortly before setting sail, one of the Deering's crew members was at a bar in Rio de Janeiro, and he drunkenly recounted to the captain of another ship his frustrations with working under Captain Warmel. He said that Warmel was old and useless, that his vision was too poor to properly navigate, and that Warmel could not keep his crew disciplined while at sea. He even mentioned to another sailor that he planned to, quote, get the captain before we return to Norfolk. Needless to say, the tension between Warmel and his crew was high as they sailed out into the Atlantic Ocean. Weeks later, in late January 1921, a lookout ship off the coast of North Carolina near the Outer Banks spotted the Deering and approached the vessel. The crew was still on board, but something seemed amiss. A man who was later confirmed not to have been Captain Warmel shouted through a megaphone at the lookout ship. He claimed that the ship had lost its anchor and was adrift at sea, and that they needed help. But the lookout ship's radio was damaged, and the incident with the Deering could not be immediately reported back to the mainland. Something seemed odd, according to the captain of the lookout ship. He said that the crew was milling around on the quarter deck, which is an area toward the back of the ship normally reserved only for the captain. Now, after this strange encounter, the Deering was discovered to have met its fate just a couple of days later on January 31st. 
It was sighted in none other than the graveyard of the Atlantic, just off the coast of Cape Hatteras. It had crashed into a barrier island, and the wreck was buffeting against the rocky shoals, driven by choppy waves and high winds. It took until February 4th for rescuers to finally board and inspect the Deering. Rescuers discovered no trace of life, but they determined that the ship had been rendered inoperable by a damaged rudder. The ship's log and navigation equipment were missing, along with the crew's personal items and the ship's two lifeboats. Uneaten meals were found in the galley. It appeared as if the crew had simply dropped whatever they were doing and abandoned the vessel. Further investigations commenced. Why had the ship simply been left to crash into the rocky shoals off of Cape Hatteras? Why didn't the crew radio for help? Where could they have made it off to in the small, open lifeboats? Why even risk taking the lifeboats if the ship had still been afloat? A major hurricane had passed through the area around the same time that the Deering would have been sailing up the coast of North Carolina. However, it was speculated that the ship would most likely have avoided being caught in the storm based off of its route. Ultimately, the fate of the Deering and her crew proved to be a mystery. The story became one of the most infamous examples of the ghost ship phenomenon. Additional speculation ran amok, and rumors of mutiny arose after word of the tensions between Captain Warmel and his crew rose to the surface. On April 11, 1921, a local fisherman reported that he had found a message in a bottle. The bottle had been manufactured in Brazil and contained a cryptic and alarming message. The message stated, Deering captured by oil-burning boat. Taking off everything handcuffing crew. Crew hiding all over ship, no chance to make escape. Finder, please notify headquarters. At first, Captain Warmel's own widow said that she thought the note looked like it had been written by one of the few trusted crew members of the ship, Captain Warmel's engineer, a man named Bates. But the story unraveled as investigators pressed the fishermen for more details. Eventually, the fisherman admitted that he had written the note himself, trying to drum up his own notoriety so that he could get a job working at one of the lighthouses off of Cape Hatteras, which I find, like, totally insane. <laughs> but anyway, the fate of the Deering's crew does remain a mystery. The U.S. government came to the conclusion that the ship had been overtaken by one of the powerful hurricanes that raged through the region in that time of year. Others suggested that the ship had been ransacked by pirates. Captain Parker of the U.S. Marine Shipping Board stated, Piracy without a doubt still exists as it has since the days of the Phoenicians, the ancient Greek civilization. Still, some insist that the disappearance of the crew had a paranormal cause. Authors and storytellers began painting the ship's fate as a mysterious incident in the Bermuda Triangle. No official explanation exists. The ocean has fascinated mankind for millennia. Its beautiful yet deadly nature is the thing of countless songs, legends, and true horror. 
Personally, I lean toward the theory that mutiny played a factor in the mysterious abandonment of the Deering. Captain Warmel was unliked, probably not able to communicate well with the Scandinavian crew that had been hired by his predecessor, Captain Merritt. The crew easily could have overpowered Captain Warmel and perhaps his one or two allies that may have tried to protect him on the ship. After encountering the lookout ship off the coast of North Carolina upon the return voyage, the Deering's crew may have panicked and tried to abandon the vessel, resorting to the lifeboats that they hoped would discreetly take them to shore where they could escape and live out the rest of their days. All right, so this concludes the Beyond the Grave episode of Down Home Fear, episode 23. DHF periodically arises from the podcast grave and then disappears without a trace. I hope you found these stories interesting. There are hundreds and hundreds of stories about ghost ships, and I've just always thought that they're pretty intriguing. I think the concept of being a sailor back in you know the 1800s with only stories and legends to go off of when they're out at sea and then encountering a mysterious abandoned vessel just kind of hauntingly floating out in the open water. I I think that would really be quite terrifying and eerie. I'm on Twitter at HHKeegan. The website is hhkeegan.com. The official Down Home Fear website was taken down a while ago because it costs money to keep those websites posted and it had been inactive in so long that I just started using hhkeegan.com, my personal website, for these types of projects. If you want to check out the other stuff I've been working out, um, you can you know follow me on Twitter, check out hhkeegan.com. And, um, yeah, you can, you know, just see what I've been working on. It's uh, mainly music projects and some other shit. So I think... (laughs) So um, I enjoyed putting this together. I enjoyed kind of a return to form of sorts. And in any case, thank you so much for listening. 